0: If you have your bibles with you this morning please turn with me to 1st Corinthians chapter 7 1st Corinthians chapter 7 This morning we will be blessed to hear from our great God and his word considering the first 9 verses And as usual, if you would like to keep track of and make notes, you can find a sermon outline on the back of one of your inserts in your bulletin. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Before we hear the reading and preaching of God's word, join me again in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come before your throne this morning as we desire to hear from your word, and as we are blessed, as you give it to us, as you speak to us, Lord, we pray that by your Spirit we would hear and we would know your truth. O Holy Spirit, we pray that your work would be deep in our hearts this morning, that you would write your word deeply, that it would stay for a long time, that we would not forget it, and that we would be diligent to live according to it. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, First Corinthians chapter 7 and beginning in verse 1. Hear now the very word of God written for you and for me today. Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, Let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does, and likewise the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again, so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment, for I wish that all men were even as I myself. But each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them that they remain even as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word, but him who has ears to hear in the very word of God, hear it this morning. Well, people of God, having a biblical theology of the body is essential for us as Christians today as it was for the saints in Corinth. For the world has its own teaching of the body and is happy to persuade and indoctrinate as many as will listen to their point of view. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul has identified and put forth multiple layers where the sin of sexual immorality affects believers' thoughts and life. Beliefs that affect how they think about and what they do with their bodies. Beloved, our bodies have glorious purpose and value. They have glorious purpose and value. Many in the Greek world promoted a low value of the body. The spirit was good, the body was bad, they said. The spirit was what was important, and therefore what we do with our bodies is insignificant. Men and women can do whatever they want to do with them, they said. They are free to fulfill their desires, no matter how sinful they may be in God's eyes. All things are lawful for me, they said. However, though they were deceived otherwise, the saints were never free to sin all the more, breaking God's law over and over again along the way. They weren't free to do that. Their liberty and freedom in Christ was freedom from bondage to sin and death, and freedom to live unto Christ in obedience to him, not the opposite. And so yet again, Paul challenged and convicted and reoriented the Corinthian view of the body, bringing it back to biblical reality, bringing it back to biblical teaching of what is true and what is the God-given purpose and value of the body and what is true of Christian liberty. And Paul challenges you and me today as well. Again, what do you believe concerning the body? And how is that evident in how you live? God has given our bodies great and high value and a grand purpose as our bodies are for the Lord, Paul said, and explicitly not for sexual immorality. Paul taught us that we belong to Christ and we are members of him. We aren't our own. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. God has divine ownership over us. And we are to use them in service to him and for his glory. And therefore, we must be prepared and ready to flee when sexual immorality and sexual temptations come and knock on the doors of our hearts and are before our faces. And so, are you ready to run Are you ready to run? For that is indeed what Paul has said we must do when faced with such temptation. And so as we consider our text this morning, we find that Paul moves into the second half of his letter. Though chapter 7 isn't exactly the halfway mark in terms of number of verses, it is a place of transition. In the first six chapters, Paul addressed concerns reported to him about sin in the congregation and their status. And here in chapter 7, Paul begins to respond to questions that the saints wrote and asked him about. Now it's interesting, because though some discredited Paul's authority as an apostle, though they tried to discredit him and his ministry and his influence in the eyes and ears of others in the body, there were clearly others who valued his ministry to them as an apostle of Christ, And desired his counsel, and his guidance, and his care. And so they wrote to him about various matters, wanted his guidance and opinion on various matters and how they should think and live. And so in our text this morning, we see some of their questions were about marriage. And though this is a transition chapter, notice that we also find continuity in Paul's instruction of the theology of the body, and how God's gift of marriage is a great protection and a remedy against fornication and sexual immorality. And so let's look at the Corinthians' question first in verse 1, as well as Paul's response and remedy in verses 2 through 7, and his words to the unmarried and the widows in verses 8 and 9. And so look at verse 1 with me as we see the Corinthians' question. Now concerning the things of which you wrote me, Paul says, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now the Apostle Paul spends this entire chapter, beloved, focusing on marriage and singleness and living in light of your status. We'll consider in the coming weeks how Paul says that he recognizes a certain value in remaining unmarried and gives reasons why Christians may stay single. We see this in verses 29 through 35. For example, Paul says things like, I suppose, therefore, that it is good, because of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is, he says in verse 26. And also in verse 28, he says, But even if you do marry, you have not sinned, and if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I would spare you. And yet even as he says these things, we know that Paul also defends and commends marriage in Scripture. He teaches much about God's ordination and design for marriage, and how husbands and wives should act towards each other in love together. He also wonderfully instructs us about how marriage shows us Christ's beautiful and yet mysterious relationship with his church. We see that in Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. And Paul also condemns those who forbid marriage. And we see that in his words to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.3. And so now when Paul says, it is good for a man not to touch a woman here, this statement very well could have been another slogan that some of the Corinthian saints used. Scholars believe that there was a group among the body in Corinth who condemned sexual promiscuity, but then they went even further to teach that Christians should avoid marriage and even abstain from sexual relations within the bounds of marriage. And so Paul seeks to correct those who would demand celibacy as he gives them counsel and guidance in providing a remedy to sexual immorality. And we see that that's exactly what he does, beginning in verse 2, don't we? Look at 2a. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, we'll stop there for a moment. Notice that when Paul refers to sexual immorality, the Greek word here is plural. It means literally, as if he's saying, because of the fornications, indicating that he is pointing to all sorts of impurities and uncleanness. Sexual immorality in all of its forms is great sin. And Paul says marriage is a beautiful remedy to counter such sin. So, nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, look at 2B, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Beloved, marriage focuses our desires and affections as well. It's beautiful. In God's design, marriage focuses our desires and our affections. Matthew Poole says this, God has ordained marriage as a means to bridle men and, not rest- and restrain them from extravagant lusts. Right? He's ordained marriage as a means to bridle men and restrain them from extravagant lusts, and that is very true. We see this in this passage and other passages in Scripture And it is a very good and a very helpful and important thing. I want to ask you, have you thought about marriage in this way, in these kinds of purposes? Do you understand not only the focus that it gives, but the safeguard and the protection that it provides? As God commands a man to have his own wife and a woman to have her own husband, and that's a very important statement, See a couple of things here. First, God through Paul makes a clear statement against sexually deviant relationships, against polygamy, against homosexual relationships, even against trans- transgender relationships and others. Both man and wife, woman and husband are singular here. God doesn't say, let each man have his own wives. And neither does he speak of a husband and a husband or a wife and a wife. Nor does he permit someone of one gender identifying as another gender to engage in a husband and wife relationship. You know how radical this is in our society if we take God's word and we see the the landscape of our culture and society around us. It's really radical. The ordinary biblical Christian life, my friends, is more and more a radical and an offensive and even, they would call us, a fundamentalist life. So be it. As we engage in biblical marriage, raise Christian families, as we obey Christ, as we go to church, even as you are gathered here in the presence of God today, As we center our week around the Lord's Day, even seeing the gift of sex as reserved for a husband and his wife, for a wife and her husband, and to teach others to do the same, we are viewed as strange and different. It's offensive. Beloved, the truths of God are offensive to this world. The gospel is an offense. And sadly, we find this to be true even with some within the broader church. But second, see here, that as Paul commanded wives in Ephesus to submit to their own husbands, notice, as to the Lord, husbands and wives must know and understand that they are covenant-bound to carry out their marital duties to their own spouse only and not to any other. Our hearts must be devoted to, my friends. Our our eyes must be solely for our spouse. The lure and damage of sexual immorality is that our hearts and our eyes are not only drawn to another, but our eyes are longing and our love is taken away from our spouse. And as that sin is fed, as it's not challenged, as it's not removed, right? as it's fed, as it continues, it becomes harder to return with the same flame. Oh, how we need God's grace in all of this. Grace to never depart, as well as grace to repair and to restore what may be damaged. And young people, I want to encourage you today, don't believe the lies that this world tells you, and there are many, especially those that say that if it feels good, do it. There really aren't any restraints. In fact, if you can even do it in secret and in private, maybe parents, family, maybe your pastor, maybe others, they don't even know. it feels good, do it. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Don't believe it and don't follow it. Don't let that into your heart and into your life, into your practice. God has given physical intimacy to be within the bounds of marriage between a husband and a wife. And so secure within the bounds of this covenant marriage, what are the husband and his wife to do? Paul teaches us about godly intimacy in marriage as he speaks to the most intimate area of that relationship. Watch out. Paul doesn't shy away from this stuff. God doesn't shy away from this stuff. Praise the Lord. Because Satan would love to enter in, and he does enter in. And so God loves to speak, and if he does, he speaks to every aspect of our being and our relationships, even to the depths of our intimacy. He needs to, and it's wonderful that he does, because we need his guidance. We need to see the complete picture and the beauty of marriage and all that pertains to it. Even as we in our marriages are showing forth the wonderful relationship that Christ has with his church. And so again, we rightly need to apply biblical theology of the body here. And this is where Paul goes. Look at verse 3. But the husband rendered to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. And here is where God designed the the sexual relationship between a husband and a wife to be lively and to flourish. Some translations refer to such rendered affection as conjugal rights. But see how husbands and wives have the right to, and sexual intimacy is due to them. And so each spouse is to lovingly give themselves physically to each other, instead of claiming their own rights. But even itself brings much damage. In sexual immorality, so too self can too easily rise up in physical intimacy, beloved, and derail or stop the giving of oneself to their spouse fully in love. Husbands and wives, guard yourselves from this, and keep loving intimacy moving forward in your marriage. For Paul explains the reason for such rendering and giving in verse 4. Look at that. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. And so why are they to give one another physical rights to themselves? Because they belong to one another. Now the word authority may seem strong to some of you. Maybe particularly it may even seem a little scary especially if you have suffered from physical or sexual abuse. However, this text isn't about coercing one's spouse to do what they don't want to do. It's about a husband and wife giving themselves freely to one another. It's about being a servant to each other. The more that we understand this verse, the more that we grasp that husbands and wives don't coexist independently. Remember that in marriage, the husband and wife exist as one flesh, Genesis 2.24. And they are to share their bodies to serve each other. This principle also applies more broadly in the marriage relationship. Husbands, how are you serving your wives? How are you loving her as Christ loved the church? And wives, how are you serving and loving your husband? And so, whereas we must render affection as it is due, Paul also speaks to what we must not do. And sometimes this may be something we're not as familiar with. But look at verse 5. Don't deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Notice that do not deprive one another is a command. This undoubtedly was going on in marriages within the Corinthian church. And Paul was saying, stop doing that. Stop doing that. Notice there is a time-bound exception, but don't deprive each other. The time-bound exception is with consent for a time. With mutual agreement, notice. It's not one-sided. It's with mutual agreement for a time. That you what? That you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. But come back so that Satan may not tempt you. Oh, how Satan loves to drive wedges in marriages, my friend. (coughs) He loves to drive wedges in marriages to tempt and destroy them. He loves nothing more than to rip apart marriages that are built upon the gospel with followers of Christ. He takes advantage of our weakness and self-control. We need to be mindful of that. And so Paul again is making his response and point clear, isn't he? Abstinence with within... Isn't spiritually healthy. Abstinence within godly marriages isn't spiritually healthy. Abstinence within marriage is only an exceptional thing for a limited time, the time of prayer. But then look at what he says in verses six and seven. He says, "But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment, for I wish that all men were even as much I myself. But each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner." and another in that. And so what does Paul mean here by concession? Well, Paul was conceding that there may be times for temporary absence in marriage, but he wasn't commanding that abstinence. But Paul goes on to explain his own personal desire here in verse 7, that all men were as he was, and what was true of Paul. His words here tell us that he was single, and therefore celibate in that status. He wasn't being sexually immoral. However, Paul recognized that what? That each one has his own gift from the Lord. And he recognized that both marriage and celibacy while single are gifts from God. And Paul upholds here the the beauty and the sanctity of marriage. He also upholds the gift of celibacy and singleness, which he will speak more to later in this chapter. But then Paul goes on and has words for the unmarried and widows, doesn't he? Look at verse 8. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain, even as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So beloved, see how those who are single are to enjoy the gift that God has given them. They are to remain physically pure and diligent in battling various temptations. However, if they struggle, if they find that they can't control themselves, what does Paul say? He says, let them marry. Again, marriage is the remedy to protect against lust and sexual immorality. We see that over again here. For it is better to marry, he says, than to burn with passion. And so Paul's theology of the body is before us here, beloved, applied to marriage and brought right into the bedroom. Paul doesn't say, I'm going to speak to you and I'm going to teach you much about marriage, but I'm going to stop at the bedroom door. No, for God has important things to teach and guide us with specifically in the bedroom, beloved. We need to listen to this well. Even young people don't think that this passage is not for you. This passage has truth for you and your preparation even in your future. If the Lord would bless you with a husband or a wife, these are things that you need to be mindful of and consider. For married couples, I encourage you to pray for and intentionally invest in your marriage. Intentionally invest in your marriage because it needs to be intentional. If there is trouble in your marriage, don't lose heart or give up. For that is so easy to do. It is so easy to let conflict, to let offenses, to let bitterness build up and deepen. And it brings much trouble to the intimacy within your marriage. Not just physical intimacy, but emotional intimacy and Definitely when emotional intimacy is not there, even so, physical intimacy will be scarce. Often But if there is trouble in your marriage, don't lose heart, But seek help and counsel to restore what is damaged by the grace of God. Never forget that your marriage is to, to be a beacon in dark places, giving glory to Christ. And so pray hard for your marriage. Pray hard for other marriages, even in this body, that they would be glorifying to Christ. For as Satan loves to twist God's design and destroy marriages, know his wiles, know his tactics, because this is what Paul gives us here. Know that as he often seeks to destroy from the inside out, in many ways he attacks intimacy in the bedroom first. He seeks to dismantle and to reverse each of the layers of Paul's instruction here to us. And if he can tempt and draw us to be increasingly offended and and hurt and in conflict and cold with our spouse, if love is diminished or, or maybe it's even gone in all practical ways, you may be putting on the facade, you may be wearing the mask in public, but you know what is true on the inside. If love is diminished or gone, beloved, know that he even more easily lures us to find thrill in another who isn't our own. Even with just our eyes or our minds, our servant's heart for our spouse and our service to them is, is compromised and what they have a physical and even an emotional right to is withheld. Abstinence becomes the norm, not the exception. And they are deprived. And both of you are tempted to sin. And so do the hard, but the good work of guarding and even repairing and seeking restoration in your marriage. And enjoy your spouse. Seek to enjoy them each and every day. Older couples, though our bodies and desires change with age, God calls you to keep your heart and your relationship pure as your marriage is to remain. A lovely picture of Christ and his relationship with the church and a godly example even to younger couples. Don't forget that. Sometimes it's easy to think that after a point in life there are some excuses that can be made and you don't need to be as diligent. But that's not true. And finally, whether you are married or a widow or single, recognize and enjoy the gift that God has given you in your calling. And see the value of what God has given you and seek to serve Christ faithfully each and every day, being watchful of the lures of lust that would quickly draw you into immorality. See this wonderful connection here in this passage. Again, this is a transition into a new, a new part of the letter and a second part of the letter. But it is, there's wonderful continuity in this theology of the body and in this how are we supposed to live in a God honoring and a God glorifying way here with our bodies in regards to sex and sexual immorality. Here He comes into the marriage and into the bedroom. It's needed. It's good. Thank Him and praise Him. Praise Christ. Praise God for His Word. let pray again.